0: Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talked to Olaf Mathay, the co-founder and CEO of Mixmax, a productivity tool for Gmail. Mixmax lets you track emails, set up meetings save time with email templates, and schedule emails to be sent later. In this episode, you'll learn how frustration that Olaf and his co-founders were experiencing helped them to come up with the idea for Mixmax. We talk about why they created a product that solves a number of different problems, such as email tracking, scheduling meetings, and so on, instead of going deep in just one area. We also look at how they launched the product and have grown it to over 10,000 customers and are currently doing over $5 million in annual recurring revenue. And we also discuss some mistakes that the co-founders made along the way and what they wish they had done differently. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Olaf, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Omer. What gets you out of bed every day? What inspires you to to work on your business?
1: Well, I think there's probably a couple of things on kind of a day-to-day basis and even longer term i mean that's like the people i get to work with every day and then if you're looking for like the literal what's the jolt that gets me out of bed that's probably like twitter and an espresso
0: <laughs> good combination okay so for people who aren't familiar with MixMax, can you kind of in your own words describe what does the product do and what problem are you trying to solve for who
1: so uh, MixMax is a communications platform for people in sales and success. And what we do is we help you automate your most common workflows. And we do that by integrating across email, Slack, CRM, document signing products, any SaaS product that you use. And so one of our kind of flagship products is a, a Chrome extension for you know a lot of your daily productivity or that helps automate a lot of the tasks you need to do in email, whether you're in sales success, even recruiting. And one very nice thing we do is we um, integrate with your calendar and kind of combine it with your email in a really nice way. So if you want to set up time to meet someone, you can just in a keystroke type slash meeting, will automatically put in times from your calendar that work for you. And when someone taps on one of those times, the meeting is automatically set up. So great example of how we take a workflow that's really cumbersome, you know, 10 messages back and forth and just kind of automate it. And so who are your target customers? Uh, Mainly people in sales and customer success. So that's account executives, account managers, customer success managers, uh, SDRs, and people who have what I call like sales jobs to be done. So a lot of our customers are uh, small business owners or have roles at SMBs where they might not have sales in the title, but a lot of what they do on a day-to-day basis is kind of de facto sales related.
0: The thing that sort of struck me about Mixmax was that it does a number of different things. I mean, there are tools out there that help you, that focus just on scheduling. Yep. Or they help you to track emails and who reads them and, and, you know, that kind of stuff. Or there are tools out there that will help you create automation sequences and things like that. Yeah. But... It sounds like you you guys, the, you, the approach you took was to kind of bundle all of that functionality into one product.
1: To a certain extent, yes.
0: Why did you do that? Why not focus on like one thing?
1: To us, I think what drove us, and this perhaps gets a little bit philosophical, is just there's been so much innovation in how kind of what I would call makers build product uh, or get get about their daily work at almost no innovation in terms of how what I would call closers do business, so either people who build product or people who sell product. And so our goal has always been to like kind of bring the same degree of innovation that makers have had to closers. and so it's just kind of naturally uh, felt that a lot of these products needed to be integrated, and one of the reasons why life is hard for people in customer facing roles is that they have to deal with, you know, five to 10 to 15 disparate solutions that don't talk between themselves. And so there are a lot of benefits when you can actually like combine some of this functionality, right? On something like calendaring, once you've set a meeting, you want, you know, automated reminders for that to be sent in a certain way, and perhaps not just through email, but perhaps through text. Or perhaps when people book meetings with you, you want to be notified in Slack about that. Or you need these meetings, you know, sync to some kind of CRM. Or perhaps when a document gets signed, you want to notify uh, your team about that in, you know, a public Slack channel, something like that. So uh, I think there are a lot of benefits when uh, these products get combined.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think there are a lot of benefits there. I'm curious whether you find that there are also a lot of challenges with with doing that like do you have people who like take one feature like i don't know like the calendar and scheduling and maybe look at you know other products in the market that only do calendar and scheduling yeah. and then come back to you and constantly kind of asking for more and more and does that make it harder for you because essentially you guys are sort tr- tr- of building multiple products that are sort of obviously integrated together yep but it kind of feels like it could potentially be an incredibly demanding place to be because you got to make sure that each one of these sub products are just as good as somebody who's focusing on just that product.
1: Yeah, I think this is like a classic question in like business and for products overall, right? And so, what's our bet at MixMax? Well, our bet's that we create a product experience that's just so natural and delightful that you want these different use cases to be speaking together and integrated together. I think this actually mainly comes up with very, very big companies. So if you're an SMB, huge benefits to have just what you need in like one comprehensive platform, pay for one product, know it all works together. If you're a really big company, that might not be as important. You might just want the very best solution in the market for thing X. That typically happens the more upmarket you go, uh, whereas MixMax is uh, more of an SMB slash mid-market product. Uh, So I think it depends a little bit on what segment uh, you target, I'd say.
0: So let's go back to pre-2014 before you, you launched this business. Where did the idea for MixMax come from?
1: MixMix started with kind of just a general frustration with the paucity and like lack of innovation in communications products, I think. Uh, And perhaps we were a little bit less focused on customer facing roles per se back then and more focused just on, hey, it's crazy that, you know, when you want to talk to someone outside of your team, generally you're like stuck with email or a phone call or a text message, kind of modes of communication that haven't evolved for literally 20 years. And so we decided, first of all, to focus on on email. And it was just striking to us that, hey, emails kind of fundamentally, they're just under the hood. They're just like web pages. How come the web has evolved so much, whereas email has remained stagnant? And we discovered that there's actually a lot you can do to give messages superpowers and by themselves and make them rich, interactive, expressive, and have them potentially even uh, update like web pages do. And so, yeah, giving people more kind of expressive potential in their email was the was the starting point for for the product and business, which obviously has evolved so much since.
0: Was this a kind of a, were you trying to scratch your own itch or was this an idea that you used an opportunity you saw and, and kind of what did you do next to figure out if people were willing to pay for something like this?
1: Very much a combination of both. As, as founders, we've actually all worked in communications before. And I personally worked at Skype uh, a couple of years before creating creating MixMex with my okay. co-founders. The kind of itch they uh, have for ourselves, I think, was. Uh, Related, as I mentioned, to just feeling that this mode of communication hadn't changed in forever. And whereas there was a lot of innovation and kind of consumer communications, right, with like Snapchat and different types of video calling and scribbling on images, etc. Whereas none of this had come to the workplace. Uh, So it's probably out of boredom with our uh, current communication stack. The way we kind of got about this is we just said, hey, what are some like really, really awful kind of workflows that you have to deal with? in email and where you're talking to people outside of your company. And the very first one that came up was, hey, it really just like setting up time to meet someone is like a really cumbersome experience today where, you know, you propose times, can you do Thursday? No, I can. not What about Friday, et cetera. And we kind of realized that, hey, you can actually just have kind of an interactive widget inside of an email. And when someone potentially taps on a time inside of that message, the meeting can be scheduled automatically. And that just felt like, you know, night and day versus the prior experience. And so that was really, that was kind of the core version of the product that we launched at first. And it seemed like a lot of other people found, found that product really valuable.
0: And this was primarily focused on Gmail and Google Calendar at the time? Yes. And, and so you built the product and, and then were you charging for it?
1: We charged from the get-go at uh, day one. And actually, I think when we launched the product, we didn't. We had pricing tiers. We didn't even necessarily have feature gates in the product. (laughs) Uh, Although we built those soon thereafter, and still it was interesting to see people paying for the product.
0: How did you get the word out about the product?
1: We were in private beta for a while, actually, before launching, and then we launched the product in 2015. And interestingly, there's a service called Product Hunt, which today is bigger than it was back then. It was kind of just getting started uh, back then. And so there were a lot of kind of early tech to tech adopters on that platform. So we launched MixMax there. And I think that helped uh, kickstart the product and the business.
0: Were you working full time on this? Or in the early days, was it more of a, a side project or experiment just to see where it would go?
1: 100% full time from the get go. I think that's a little bit of a philosophical point. I know some some people say, hey, you know, I really think you should moonlight before and see how it goes. I think if you're doing a company, when you start something and experiment, you need to kind of have at least some kind of inter-founder commitment that, hey, we're going to be working full-time on this idea for at least 18 months to see if we can get it off the ground.
0: And did you raise money,
1: like, right away? Yeah, we did kind of during the private beta phase, actually.
0: How much did you raise then? Uh, we raised
1: 1.5 million.
0: I know recently you you did another round, and you're at over 13 million that you've raised yes. so far. Yep. I mean, I, I've got to say that you know, like we talked about earlier, I think there are a uh, you know a number of products out there that do a lot of the things that you're talking about with MixMax. Yeah. Uh, what do you think it is about MixMax that has helped you to? differentiate the product and get it to over 10,000 customers and, and having having raised $13 million?
1: Wow, so, so many things. And uh, this is kind of just my take on it, right? Um, one thing is we're really obsessive about product and product experience. And you're absolutely right that since kind of communications is an infinite market, and there are like 2 billion people on email today, right? There are a lot of products in the space which is great because the product categories are kind of known. And so people are, are looking for solutions.
0: There are a couple of different ways that I'm kind of thinking about this. Like, Firstly, I'm curious how investors saw Mixmax compared to what else is out there on the market that made them want to, to invest here. Yeah, And secondly, from a customer perspective, what is the value prop? What is it that convinces people to say, yes, this is the reason why I should pick Mixmax over the, you know, the myriad of other possible choices that I have out there?
1: From a VC perspective, I, I think it's kind of a couple of things. One is as founders, we had worked together for a number of years and we have very complementary roles and we had kind of like built successful product in the past. And so if you think about just from a seed investor's perspective, right? It's very hard to make bets on product. And that's why a lot of people make bets on founding teams. <laughs> yeah, totally. And so, and so that, that could have been it. The other thing that I th- think really felt really unique was this aspect of everything you can do inside of a message. A lot of innovation traditionally, at least an email happens in like, oh, better triage or, you know, AI to read the contents of email, etc. No one has done anything to kind of revolutionize the format of a message itself and what a message can contain. And so I think that felt really unique and and compelling and kind of are, are the early version of the product. In terms of customers and like what's unique about the value prop, I think that so many things, if if we're talking just kind of strictly about SMBs, a big part of this is the value prop of you kind of get five products in one. And you also get products that in that case, right, where calendaring works together with your email sequences, uh, which works together with your analytics holistically, which work together with your reminders, uh, which works together with tracking, etc. Whereas if you have disparate solutions, you're kind of, you're not getting any of the, of the exponential benefits you get when these different features work together holistically.
0: Yeah. And that's interesting because what we talked about earlier, having these multiple products and the potential strain that might put on you as a team is also probably one of the biggest, uh, Different uh, kind of, yeah, exactly.
1: Yep, yep, yeah. It's uh, I think with all things startups, right? It's like pick your poison. <laughs> there's no silver bullet, so uh, you pick a niche that you feel that you're personally really excited about, and then there's so many ways to markets are really big, and there are many ways to carve out a carve out a space for yourself.
0: Okay, so you you launch the the initial product, got the word out on product hunt. You were charging from day one and you started getting some, some early customers. What did you learn from that? And, and did that significantly in any way change the direction of the product or was it just validation to keep doing what you were doing?
1: Got a combination of all the above. To some extent, it was about, you know, the initial promise of the product was definitely there. I think we found that we had Probably launched too early from a technical perspective, which was also a good thing. (laughs) We just wanted to get something out and we had a lot of kind of stability issues early. So those became a priority for us to fix. In terms of target market, what it helped us with, we had a kind of a wide variety of people in various jobs that were using the product. So it did help us in terms of talking to various types of customers and seeing the type of value they got. For example, we had a somehow we had a lot of real estate agents using the product early and that's super exciting and great. And we're excited to have, you know, people in real estate as customers. We kind of quickly discovered that they probably weren't the ideal type of customer we wanted to like build a product for, for a variety of reasons related to the fact that, you know, they're often kind of solopreneurs on their own. Some of their use cases are like much more specific and kind of aren't as broadly applicable, et cetera. So I think it did help us narrow Actually having a very broad customer base initially was very beneficial because it helped us get data to narrow it down.
0: With Realtors, what was it that you were getting very specific kind of feature requests for the product?
1: In part, I think overall, and this has been our focus, we launched MixMix as kind of general productivity for SMBs. I don't think we had a particular... Persona in mind when we launched, whereas now we're kind of like very much focused on people in sales and success. And so we kind of let that fall a little bit from the product overall. Well, some reasons why we felt real estate perhaps wasn't as good a fit is in a lot of realtors actually get to choose entirely what type of product they use. And so there was really no opportunity to sell to, you know, a 10 person license to a team of realtors because that's just not how that business works. Whereas in sales, for example, a sales team will agree on a product to use and then everyone will use it. So it wasn't just about features in the product. It was just as much, how might this impact the go-to-market model for the company?
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So let's talk about kind of what happened after that. So Product Hunt got you some initial momentum but what else did you guys do to keep growing the product?
1: I think you can grow a lot without building as much product as we did. I think that just comes as a, as a given given our background as kind of product product people. Some things we did to kind of keep momentum and continue launching. So one thing we did multiple product hunt launches actually, follow-on launches as we did new features and built up more product. We made sure to keep a pretty good cadence of newsletters to nurture our kind of original base. We experimented quite a bit with pricing. I don't see a lot of companies doing this, and I really encourage people to do this. We also, I think, on pricing did some things that kind of defy conventional wisdom. We started with prices really low, uh, and we increased them over time. And the beauty of increasing prices is... A, it makes you feel great. Secondly, you can actually do promotions a la, you know, hey, we're going to increase price in a week. Get the current price now uh, before it gets more expensive. How much
0: were you charging when you first started?
1: God, it was like a couple of dollars on the cheapest plan. It was not a lot.
0: And then now it kind of goes up from like $9 to infinity. infinity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good place to be. <laughs> What else did you do with pricing? Like you said, you, you kind of tested a lot with pricing.
1: Well, a couple of the things, as I mentioned, like we had a pricing page up when we launched. We didn't really have feature gates in the product immediately. We still got people buying the product. We changed around a bit the types of features under plans. We I think we only had monthly plans for a very long time until we did also added annual plans. We expanded the number of plans. I think when we started the kind of gist as it was, that let's make it as easy as possible for someone just to buy MaxMax. Max. And so, you know, having a cheap monthly plan, I can't think of anything easier. Annual plans are great because in theory, you get lower turn on them and it's more of a commitment and you get more cash upfront. The drawback is it's a little bit, you know, you're introducing some friction for the customer to buy. So yeah, those are some of the, some of the experiments I think we did on pricing. Uh, We did do a fair amount in terms of experimenting with upsells within the product as well, not just having kind of like feature gates as we went along, but also giving people more ways to pay us in the product.
0: Can you give me an example of that? I'd love to know more about that.
1: This is something I've actually seen consistently in in companies I've been at. The more ways you offer people to give you money, the more money you will make. And so just like we spoke about, you know, segmentation on the, you know, types of products people want to use, people want to pay for your product in different ways and in different circumstances so that's one of the reasons you have annual and monthly plans right some people just will always buy monthly some people really want to buy annual etc some people want to feel they're buying the very very best plan some people want a cheaper plan in terms of inside of the product the more places we put kind of buy mix-mex links in the product the more people would buy
0: were you restricting certain features and then using that as a call to action to, to buy Mixmax and, and get access? Or was it just they kind of had access to pretty much most of the functionality, but it was really kind of more of a constant reminder within the product that...
1: Yeah, I, I don't think you need to restrict access, actually, per se. I think you can just say, you know, pay us 20 bucks a month to use this feature. That's a great place to start. It's much less work. One thing I would, I guess I would love for us to actually experiment more on that I when I was at Skype that we did that actually helped growth a lot. Obviously Skype very different product for calling. There there are kind of really interesting ways you can get more revenue by kind of changing around the pricing model. So with Skype, it was things like Skype first only had pay as you go. And then that growth started to plateau out. Then we introduced calling cards. So, you know, pay 20 bucks and have your minutes be deducted from that. Then a whole new set of people wanted to pay for your product. And then we introduced, you know, annual subscriptions or monthly subscriptions. And a whole new set of customers were willing to pay for the product that way.
0: And then there was phone numbers. That was another thing. Exactly. As well.
1: like, and so... Note that the way you're paying is actually, you're still getting the same feature. You're just paying for it in a different way. I think it's pretty exciting to think about novel novel ways in which uh, you can charge for your product. You
0: also are doing quite a bit with uh, referrals. Indeed. Um Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, so uh, this was very much from the get-go. We still prompt people to share MixMix with their friends. Uh, That's a core part of the experience. That's also helped with growth. I think every SaaS app should do that.
0: Is this in-app, email, or both? Yeah, this
1: is mainly in-app today. We actually have an incentive for this. I think it's today that you get unlimited tracking if you invite seven or more people. So it's a little bit similar to what you might see other referral programs, kind of like give 10, get 10 kind of thing. Obviously, ours wasn't with with cash. And so, yeah, I definitely encourage any SaaS product to have some kind of invite or referral flow. And now we built this in-house. Now there are actually companies that build this as kind of SDKs out of the box as well to help you manage referral programs.
0: For someone who's thinking about maybe doing something like that, some sort of referral program or or something within the product and they haven't kind of done something like this before are there any lessons you learned from that experience that that you could share
1: the one lesson which was kind of hard hard learned was uh, at least our referral flow was incredibly sensitive to the copy we had in the referral flow so i remember at some point we changed what the call to action was we might have changed the the, how we communicated what you would get when you referred friends, but the the benefit you'd get would still be the same. And the number of referrals just tanked. It was insightful to me to see how sensitive it was to copy and, and design.
0: So this was just kind of, you just changed like a few sentences which describe what they were getting? Yes. It's interesting.
1: If you think it'll, more deeply about it kind of makes sense right because the the perceived benefit can change a lot with copy and snap decisions and so yeah i guess our our changes didn't resonate so also just tells us there's a great opportunity right because there's nothing to say that you know our our version that worked best is actually the optimal copy in any shape or form
0: yeah no I, i'm a big believer in good copy and you know i think as sort of product people we we put a lot of thought into the design of the product and the interface and and you know all of those kinds of things and but i've seen so many examples and i was talking to somebody last week actually who had a product or it was a service actually so it was slightly different but they were kind of ge- having a hard time getting interest from potential customers and they spent a lot of time really kind of reworking and kind of coming up with a much clearer offering and a much better guarantee. And now that they're at the point where they have to turn business away because they just can't cope with it. And what they're offering hasn't changed. It's the same thing. It's just how it's delivered and, and you know, perceived yep, by
1: people. Yep. Which actually ties nicely back into pricing that we spoke about earlier. And so this isn't a mix-mix example, right? But when, when I was at Skype, there were certain people who did not want to pay for calling on a pay-as-you-go basis. They wanted to pay for calling with calling cards and vice versa. And so the fundamental service they were getting was exactly the same in some way, right? It was just the way the way they were getting the service was different.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. We could probably break that down and analyze it, but yeah, yeah. I, get, I get the point. It's <laughs> okay, uh, so in terms of growth, we talked about product hunts. we talked about what you did with pricing and referrals. Was there anything else that kind of has been a big contributor?
1: I think one thing, and MixMax has a little bit of an unfair advantage compared to other products in that we're a communications product and communications products have some degree of like virality or hopefully do, right? And so one thing to note about us, which is both a little bit of blessing and a curse is kind of our top of funnel is the entire universe, (laughs) by which I mean kind of everyone who uses email, which is literally everyone. That doesn't mean that, you know, our value prop is necessarily optimized uh, for that it just means that our kind of top of funnel is very wide. And so it helps a little bit in a company, right? Because someone on at your pod at work might start using the product and then tell, you know, other people in the pod. And it helps that it's uh, not a product just for mid-market SDRs. And that it's also, you know, more broadly a product for people in customer-facing roles or or people have sales jobs to be done. It just helps with that type of type of virality and word of mouth.
0: Now, I, I know you don't talk about specific revenue numbers, but can you give us a ballpark in terms of where you guys are right now?
1: So, I guess w- what I can share here is we have uh, north of ten thousand customers and we're north of five five million ARR.
0: That's awesome. And. I know when we before we started recording, we talked about what you wish you had done differently and, and one of the the things that you told me about was hiring and taking a different approach. Can you share that with me?
1: Here's the thing. As founders in this like entire SaaS industry, we talk a lot about product market fit what we don't talk about is what happens after you have product market fit and somehow it's like once you have product market fit everything's fine and you've like cleared it and you've made it whereas of course that's like absolutely not the case you just have like the next hurdle that you need to overcome and that hurdle i think after product market fit is building out a senior team so that you don't go completely bonkers as a ceo And so hiring senior people, I think, is something uh, that we did too late and that we started doing too late. And I think that's something that impacts the growth rate of a lot of companies. And as founders or as founder CEOs, I think you kind of almost go through what I'd call like three stages of denial when, uh, when you think about bringing on senior people to your team and happy to chat about those.
0: Yeah, sure. I'd love to hear about that.
1: Yeah, the way I think about it is kind of in terms of like what I would call the three stages of denial, there it, it, it kind of happens this way. Firstly, you're a little bit in denial about whether you need someone senior to start with. So the, you say to yourself, well, you know, we actually don't need that role right now. We don't need a VP sales or we don't need a VP marketing or we don't need a head of finance right now. And you're typically afraid of it being, you know, it's too expensive or it's too early. And so you have all these types of objections. And I I can share more where I, th- where I think those actually don't matter. Once you kind of overcome that objection either way, and you're like, okay, I need someone, then you kind of tell yourself, oh, I can find this person on my own. By which you mean, you know, I'm a founder, I'm well-connected, I have investors, I have an in-house recruiter, we can find this person on, on our own. That also is not a great strategy and typically won't work. And also isn't very helpful in terms of building a diverse team. And then kind of what I would call the third stage of denial is... Not being really sure of the level of seniority that you need. And so you tell yourself that, hey, you know, you can do with someone who's, you know, director level. Whereas what you actually need is someone who's really done it before and as a VP. And so you tell yourself, oh, this person will grow into the role. And the reason you tell yourself that is, you know, you're used to in your startup putting people in stretch roles and it kind of works. Whereas for senior leadership, that won't always be the be the case. So You kind of see how it's almost a funnel of like multiple stages of like denial that you that you go through and that you have to, I think, be a little bit conscious of. So
0: Yeah. So give me one example of uh, how doing that at MixMax, what kind of impact did that have for you as a CEO and what kind of impact did it have for the rest of the team?
1: Firstly, what it means very tactically, it means that you as CEO, you get way, you have way more on your plate. And opportunity cost is like the absolutely biggest cost. And so you're not focusing on what your core area of expertise is. So for me, that happens to be product, right? And so not having someone in finance means I need to spend a lot of time on like RevRec. Not having had someone in sales means I need to spend time, you know, managing the couple of salespeople we had on the team, et cetera. And so it's really costly just in terms of your time. Then it's also really costly in terms of the growth trajectory of the company, right? So I'm not a marketer, I've never done any marketing, et etc. We've, really, we've been really fortunate in terms of having like a lot of kind of like viral word of mouth around the product. Obviously, having someone who's like knows the tricks and trades of marketing, which is an incredibly like subtle and nuanced craft, will help your growth rate and will help with how customers uh, perceive your product and similarly on sales, right? If you have a, a couple of people in sales and they don't have the right leadership, how do they grow as people and how do they how do they excel?
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean when you when you lay it out like that, it kind of seems pretty obvious. Yeah, of course, why would you not hire a senior yeah. enough person as soon as you can? Yeah. But I think kind of the way you set up the context with those three stages of denial is probably also important to understand because I think uh, uh, a lot of leaders will go through that.
1: Yeah, it's always the, I think it's too expensive. I think it's too early. Perhaps our go-to-market strategy will change. Are we actually sure we have product market fit? What if we don't have you know enough resources to give this senior person a lot of headcount day one? The great news is the kind of entire point of hiring someone senior is that you don't have to figure out, have the answers to those questions yourselves. Yourself. That is what a senior hire is there for. Right. Totally. So you don't need all the answers.
0: How big is the team?
1: Uh, We're 48 people today.
0: Wow. I'm pretty sure I read somewhere and it was less than a year ago that you were about 18 people.
1: I think that's correct. We've grown quite a bit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you've been busy hiring. That's good.
1: Yes. So
0: (laughs) great. Okay. We should wrap up. So uh, I'm going to go into the lightning round and uh, ask you seven quick fire questions. Just try to answer them as quickly as you can. You ready? Sweet. Okay. What's the best piece of business advice you've ever received?
1: Hire senior leaders early.
0: What book would you recommend to our audience and why?
1: Well, if we're talking specifically kind of business books, that would probably be, I bet everyone on this podcast has said this as uh, hard thing about hard things.
0: Yep. We've had that a few times. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a business book. A lot of the times, you know, some non-business books are actually just as interesting for for people who listen to the show.
1: Well, that would probably be Don Quixote. It's incredibly refreshing to read a book that's 500 years old and uh, probably the funniest book I've ever read.
0: Really? I'll have to read that myself.
1: So, yes, it's great.
0: Uh, What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur?
1: Being a very good listener.
0: What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit?
1: I guess I can't say (laughs) Mixmax. So colored pencils. Sorry, colored pens.
0: What do you do with the colored pens?
1: Having abnormally sized sheets of paper and colored pens helps you organize your thoughts and think more freely about solution spaces.
0: Uh, Are you a mind mapper?
1: Not formally in that sense. Probably, yes, but kind not of. formally, <laughs> kind so. of. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, what's a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time?
1: I'm, I'm going to venture outside of communications here since MixMax communications related. I think there are, there's a lot more to do in communications, even outside of MixMax. Something completely different would probably be something finance related. So, not so much personal finance as kind of business finance and business banking related. Interesting.
0: Uh, What's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know?
1: I typically listen to music written before 1764. Seriously? Yes. So
0: 1765 is a big no for you? (laughs)
1: Uh, Well, 1764, I think, is the year a French composer called Rameau died that's kind of the, the cutoff point for me. Wow. You asked for something obscure.
0: Yeah, and you, and you met the challenge. <laughs> yeah. And, and finally, what is one of your most important passions outside of your work?
1: I really enjoy cooking and uh, inventing new dishes. It gives me great satisfaction to be doing something with my hands.
0: Awesome. So Olaf, thank you for joining me. It's been a pleasure talking to you and uh, learning more about Mixmax and uh, what you guys are up to there. If people want to find out more about Mixmax, they can go to mixmax dot com. And uh, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Probably on Twitter. I'm at Olofster on Twitter, and you can also, of course, follow Mixmax at Mixmax. Um, really fun being on the show.
0: Awesome, thank you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, and I, I wish you and the team all the best.
1: Thanks, Amir. You too. Cheers. Cheers.